Hey everyone, welcome back to This is Steph Sober, the podcast. I'm your host, Steph, an ex-binge drinker who is now a sober lifestyle blogger as well as a wife and mother. In this episode, James is back. If you didn't listen to his story when he was on the first time, you can find it in season two, episode eight. His story is incredible. So incredible and so inspiring that James and I have kept in touch and continue to support each other in sobriety. In this very candid chat with James, we discuss a variety of topics, including the transition of recovery to being recovered, how we handle being around drunk people, I talk very candidly about my relationship with my daughter now that I am sober, and James opens up and shares his recent thoughts about having a drink and the conclusion he came to about the idea. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. James, you're a bloody legend. Okay, that was a really bad, bad, bad accent. But anyway, on with the show. Hello, James. Hi. Welcome back. Good evening, good afternoon. <laughs> yes, good evening, good afternoon. We're both having rainy weather. Yeah, except it's the middle of summer here, so yeah. we haven't really had much summer. I think we've had about three days of summer. However, this works for me because in England, our Christmas would be like yours and it would be cold, dark, etc. Mm-hmm. Over here, Christmas is the middle of summer and it's a barbecue, and it's not Christmas at all for me. It's just weird. Yeah, that would so be weird for me. If it, yeah, I haven't had a tree up in years since I've been signaled. It's just like, meh. doesn't feel so right. I, doesn't, doesn't. So if it's like this, like if it stays like this, I'm not going to drink. Yeah, <laughs> I can't oh. wait for English Christmas. So excited, <laughs> so excited. Bring on next year. Wish yeah. my life away. Yeah. Well, it is that wonderful time of the year, but this time of the year can be hard for all of us mentally. Definitely. Seen a lot of it on the ground, especially Mm -hmm. people year one, right? Like Like me. How am I going to, how am I going to, yes. You're just going to pass your one just the other side of Christmas. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. The day after Christmas will be. Day after. That's right. Boxing Mm -hmm. Day. My mom's birthday. Oh. Congratulations on your year one. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But now normal for you, I think we talked about. I mean, you're very much in a a place of normality, right? Most of the time. I feel like it's. It's definitely become my my like consistent lifestyle. Like it's just who I am yeah. now. Um, I don't have cravings or anything like that. Now it's just dealing with the mental part of it. You know, the having to actually deal with problems in a healthy way, and I can't avoid them and mm-hmm. and I'm out anymore. And you know, this time of year, there's always things that come up, and I've always hid from them behind drinking and and didn't deal with them you talked about it on your last pod released a couple of days ago about dealing with being around drunk people Mm -hmm. as well which i really struggle with for many of the same reasons and i found that one of the most interesting of your recent drops all of them are incredible but that i was like 
totally the same that like I'm worrying about them and I'm thinking about their health and probably nagging at them too much and going oh my god have you actually thought about you know and I'm being that person that I hated mm-hmm. people being when I drank because people are going oh my god you should stop drinking and I'm going ah shut up no it's so good um and I'm trying not to be that person but it's really difficult not to be right now you're sober yeah and it's really annoying being around drugs too I mean, like, I'm the first guy at the back door at the party at 6 p.m. Like, it starts at 5, I'm at 6. Because they'll be going, repeating themselves, and they're annoying and argumentative and slurring, and I'm like, okay, I don't like this. Man, yeah. I feel like it's payback for all my years of being that guy. <laughs> Maybe it is, but <laughs> I, yeah, I really struggle there, and I get, I get annoyed and I get agitated. I mean, I just feel, I don't like it. I don't like the way it feels. And I honestly avoid being around people when I know there's going to be alcohol, but I want to get to a point where I can feel a little less like disconnect from that is kind of what I'm trying to work on. Cause I mean, that's, that's a control issue, right? That's me trying to control the situation and control other people's behavior. And we know that that's just not going to happen. Like, I can't do that. I can't But you make have to be in situations people. more than I do where there is going to be that going on. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't often have to be in situations. I don't have, it might change in the UK a bit more. But here I don't, I, it takes me to go places. It doesn't come to me because I just don't have people over if they're going to be drinking. If you want to come over with a cup of tea, great. Awesome. But I won't, there won't be drinkers here, so I have to go somewhere else. Whereas in your household, that's different. It right? is different. It is different. So yeah. it's more important for your mental well-being to be able to be okay with it mm-hmm. than mine because mm-hmm. I can just go, I'm just dying out see you later bye yeah you can leave uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and you've got your family over for christmas right you had thanksgiving with family yep and if that paradigm shift doesn't happen for you it's going to be harder right yeah. yeah yeah and how do you think what how do you think you're going to get there have you got a plan or are you just sort of freestyling it and seeing uh, is it is it getting easier with each event? I think it's starting to get easier because I've called it out. So I mm. catch myself when I start getting to that point and, you know, just do the self-talk and, and you know, talk myself out of like going there mm. and just reminding myself that, you know, I once was in their position, like you said, like I was once there, I didn't realize what I was doing and no one was going to fucking tell me what to do when it came to drinking. So I just, things like that, I'll just remind myself and calm myself down and just try to like have fun um, with it, Mm. you know, but I I will say that, yeah, enjoy the moment. And I think, you know, I need to give people a little more credit to a lot of people have had, you know, it's an adjustment. I'm the one who decided to make this huge change. Right. And, you know, it's an adjustment for them. And I have to have a little empathy there and realize that, you know, I kind of like shook things up because 
I'm now, you know, socializing differently, I guess. Yeah. It's quite frightening to think, though, that just about everybody I know that drinks is a problem drinker. If based on the amount of units, the world standard, I think it's 14 units or standard drinks for a man per week, which is a bottle of wine, a bottle of 13.75% wine, 1% is a unit. Mm -hmm. That's it for the whole week. And a lot of my friends drink half to a whole bottle of wine a night, multiply that by seven. That's a massive problem drinker. Yeah, they wouldn't see themselves as a problem drinker. They go, well, I don't get paralytic. You know, I might on a Friday, I might get really sloshed, but every other night I only drink half a bottle of wine or a bottle of wine. But that's a really organ-damaging, mm-hmm. mind-bending, brain-cell-killing amount of alcohol. Yet mo- most won't see that they've got that problem. I mean, go down my, my street, look at the recycling bins on a Tuesday night, and they're just like, the green bins are full. Yet if you went down the street and asked anybody if they're a problem drinker, most of them would say no. Yeah. I would have said yes. I knew I was a problem drinker. I'd have put my hand up. But most people go no and get really defensive about it. No, I'm not. I only, you know, well, Mm -hmm. actually you are. Mm -hmm. And then look at the whole world, the same thing. You know, like, yeah, I mean, go down the same street, see how many people are methamphetamine addicts on my street. Probably not many, right? Right. Compared to the amount of alcoholics, except, you know, like, alcohol is this amazing, you know, it's, oh, it's fine, it's alcohol, it's legal, it's not a problem, it's socially acceptable. Yet the whole of New Zealand are obsessing over methamphetamine all of the time. Here we go, oh, the meth problem in New Zealand. Oh, my God, all the lives it's ruining. Well, looking at the statistic recently, which I think I showed you something very, a chart very similar. Yeah. It's not that many. Yeah, it's a horrible drug and it eats people up. And But relatively compared to this um, freely available, socially acceptable 8,000 liquor stores in a 5 million person country, um, mind boggling. Yeah. Mind boggling. Yet nobody's got a problem. And I mean, it's the same here. It's a, it's a world problem. I mean, yeah, it's the same yeah. here in the U S I mean, yeah. Alcohol related deaths outnumber all other drugs combined every year, but yeah, we focus on all those other drugs instead of what the alcohol's doing and we glorify it. And like you said, yeah. And everybody does it. So nobody thinks that it's wrong because everyone does it. Like it's, it's crazy. From from the from from the politicians right down to the people who've just got out of jail. Everybody's at yeah. teenagers, yeah. children, mothers, fathers. And it's how's that gonna change? Because obviously, I mean, when I grew up, I'm a bit older than you, but when I grew up in England, you could smoke in the theatre. There was cigarette ashtrays in the back of the seat behind when you went to watch a show. Mm-hmm. You could smoke in planes, trains, cinemas, restaurants, pubs. Smoking was everywhere. Yeah, now that has become socially unacceptable. There's warnings all over it. There's, there's, there's lungs that look awful and plain packaging. And I think in England now they've got rid they've got rid of menthol cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, but where's that change going to become with the alcohol? I mean, ideally, you would hope that it would come 
within a similar sort of time cycle. But I don't see it happening. I mean, we can all shout from the rooftops and say, oh, but as long as the people at the top, you know, I mean, like your lawmakers, judges, politicians, etc., don't mm -hmm. want a bottle of wine on their Cabernet Sauvignon on their table with a liver that's shot right. and writing all over it saying, this will fuck you up. I would love to think, you know, that there's enough of this, that, that this change will happen. But will it? You know, I mean, it's going to take a lot of people and a lot of kick up and a lot of stigma. Yeah. Um, I mean, I now, I mean, there's, 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 people have talked for years about the health benefits of, of wine. I've always said, oh, if you have a glass of red wine, then the health benefits. But now we are seeing on Instagram, um, mm -hmm. on the sober Instagram, you know, all the things that, that, that wine or anything else will do to you. It's a carcinogenic, it's a neurotoxin, it's killing your brain so your liver. It's not just the one thing that we thought it was, oh, it might hurt your liver if you drink. No. Oh, my God, the amount of things I'm learning and then going away and fact-checking because I don't just read something on Instagram yeah. and go, that's, you know, like yourself. Yeah, okay. And right. you go away and read about it and professor such and such or so-and-so will be going, oh, yeah. You know, oh yeah, this shit's nasty. Mm -hmm. But it's it's I guess it's trying to change that thing one one person at a time and how you do it, right? Because I've got yeah. a very 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 good friend. Um, my, it's my best friend's partner, and he is a quality guy, but by half past seven at night, an absolute dickhead. Mm. Like, I don't think I'll ever listen to this. I'm not going to say any names, but mm. wow. You know, and I just take, I never say anything at the time because when somebody's drunk, they don't shit what you can say anyway. But I do try and every so often drop in, the, you know, before he gets drunk and say, but he knows he has a problem, but you know, and goes through cycles of going, oh, I can, and he'll do like dry July, mm -hmm. which is, I think it's here, it's dry July. Can do that, kill it, knock it out of the park, month, not a problem, done. And then the day after, August, 1st of August, wow, bottle of scotch, and then straight back into it, which is a funny sort of alcoholism because I could have never have done that. I would have been screaming after three or four days and going, oh, my God, you know, I need. But he can just do it and turn it off. But as soon as he doesn't have to do it, because it's that, he's straight back into full-on, like, and functioning. The guy goes to work, never has a day off with sick, gets up at half past five in the morning, goes to the gym, does a spin class. Mm -hmm. But his total amount, his recycling bit at the end of the week is full of bourbon bottles. You know, I want to talk about this a minute because I just, yeah. I just did like a, like a reel on this, um, about setting up all these rules with alcohol and, and then it's kind of a way to prove to yourself that you don't have a problem, right? Like you were saying, I used to do this exact thing that he's doing that he, you just said he was doing. I could take a month off. So obviously I don't have a problem because I can go a whole month. Um, I'd go to work. I would never call in sick for a hangover. I would go in there smelling like complete shit. I didn't care. I was going to work 
because yeah. I don't have a problem. Work out all of those things. You set this, you set these little rules up in your head or these little like milestones as proof to mm. yourself that you don't have a problem. Mm. Like I could get through dry January because I knew that's all I had to do was get through dry January and I could drink in February. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I took all those rules off the table. Cause it's exhausting too. like, think about how exhausting that is to like make yourself get up and go to work when you feel like complete mm-hmm. shit and try to like mentally get through your day to push yourself and push your body through a workout when all your body wants to do is like process this poison that you put in it the night yeah. before. And you wonder why you can't stick with a workout or you can't stick with a, you know, a healthy diet, like all these things. It's like hiking uphill with like a hundred pound sack on your back. Like why make it so much harder? Mm. And so, yeah, it wasn't until I was like, I have to be completely done. Like I have to quit setting all of these little like rules around alcohol just to like prove I don't have a problem because I do like quit beating around the bush, just get to the point and no more rules. And like, as soon as I took that away and it wasn't like, I'm only going to quit drinking for so long. And it was, I'm done altogether. Like the freedom that came with that and all the things that I could start doing, like, like staying consistent with my workouts and eating healthy without even thinking about it, you know, it wasn't an issue at all. I mean, yeah, it's just crazy. The things we do to prove that I can we're literally only think of one person that drinks, that doesn't drink more than what you should do awake. And that's my father who literally drinks under 13 units a week. I've only known him to be drunk. It's my stepdad, but he's dad. Mm-hmm. I've only known him drunk twice in 39 years. One of those was his stag party. I can't remember what the other one was. But he will have one beer or one whiskey a night or a pint at the pub once a week, and that's it. Whereas everybody else is over that, whatever, 13, 14 units a week, and most well over. I mean, a lot won't won't appear drunk, right? I mean, they're not all like my friend who's like super annoying. I mean, that sees it the, the, the my end of the scale when I was drinking. But most will be drinking enough to be really doing themselves some damage, but still don't have a problem because I, I get up and I do this and I, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I have my life. You know, but that's a functioning alcoholic. I don't right. know. What's the new, there's a new, I don't like the word alcoholic, actually, there's a new, Alcohol dependent will do. Mm-hmm. But that's functioning, which mm-hmm. most people are. I mean, to get to non-functioning, which is where I was, completely and utterly just fucking. <laughs> people who've heard the pod- my podcast or well, previous podcast, but one will know, I was not functioning at all, right, right, for a long time or short periods of time. I've thought about this since, actually, and I, I think I was probably a binge drinker in part because sometimes I'd have a job but I wouldn't have it for long because I was straight back to full time so I kind of went in waves but it was pretty epic I always said if you're going to do anything do anything at all do it properly and yeah yeah 
but like my body's mended. I mean, it's incredible. But if you do decide, if and when you decide to stop drinking, um, most people's bodies will recover and their liver will recover. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of the damage can be undone, but it takes you to stop and to stop now. Right. Yeah. yeah. And same with our brains. You know, yeah. I just I just read something and of course I can't quote like exactly where it was from, but um it was a doctor or something like that that I follow. And yeah, talking about the fact that most people worry that the damage is all already done. They kind of have that attitude like, well, I've already been drinking for 20 years, like why quit now? The damage is done, but it's actually not done. Like our our bodies can heal. They can heal themselves yeah. if we give them the opportunity to do so. And yeah, so it's never too late to stop. It just, it really isn't. And then you go, I don't know if you've heard of a famous English footballer, soccer player called George Best. No. Um, I think he was in the 60s and early 70s. And he went through at least two. And this is like the most serious of alcoholics ever that, that there is a point where you won't. I think he had maybe three liver operations, complete oh, wow. transplants. And every time he got one, he he damaged the next one to the point of needing another one to eventually the doctor said, look, we don't give a fuck with you, George Best or not. Other people need these livers. Right. And he died. Mm -hmm. And he died. Um, and it was like, he was like the most loved, soccer player and the, the father of England, but his chronic addiction was so bad. I mean, my liver function, and I drank a lot, my liver function never got to the point of, like, you need a liver transplant. You know, it always managed to managed to heal. But you can get to that point. Oh, yeah. Say, to be such a serious alcoholic, you can go through a liver and then need another one. I mean, that's mind-blown, mm -hmm. mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. And his son has gone on to be a really, really serious alcoholic. And his mm -hmm. father was a really serious alcoholic. And it's gone down the it's gone down the family. Yeah. I mean like my mum's a drinker. I mean she's my adopted mum, but she's a drinker. And I feel like I learned a fair amount of drinking from her. Mm -hmm. And her mother was a drinker, and it just seems to pass down the family. Whereas, like, you've stopped, and your teenage daughter will see you and go, probably, one would think, would break the cycle. And she go, oh, but mum doesn't need alcohol because you've stopped at a very formative age in right. her life. It's such a good thing for her mm -hmm. because she's saying, oh, but you don't actually have to drink right. to have fun because i know you're fun we, we message you a lot you're a fun person yeah right? yeah hell yeah I'm fun. Our kids will hell yeah <laughs> I, you do you learn a lot from what what you see yeah i mean as i always said i've never become my parents when i was young i was like i'll never ever ever become my parents we all oh, say that worst people on earth and now I can even catch myself talking and going, oh, my God, I'm so like my mum and dad, which is a good thing in nearly every every way because they are really good people. Mm -hmm. um, but we definitely learn um, what we're seeing, right? Right. 
And I think that kind of goes back to when you were talking about the cigarettes and how that evolved. And then that whole generation was like, this is bad. Like my daughter's generation, cigarettes aren't, I mean, they have the vape thing, but like cigarettes are not even anything that they're thinking about or, or wanting to have anything to do with. Right. Yeah. And that comes from them seeing like our generation, like not glorifying it anymore, not advertising it. The people that do do it talk about how much they wish they didn't do it. And I think that's the key with the alcohol. And I think that's like, it starts with me showing my daughter a different way. One person at a time. Right. And it's like, she's, and she is at a pivotal age because she, she's old enough or she's young enough. Like she remembers what I was like when I was a drinker. And now she's going to see the contrast and how much better it is that I'm not. Because when I quit drinking, she was very upset about it because she thought it meant no more fun because she was shown drinking equals fun, drinking equals people being at the house. It equals the the adults are a little loose and we can get away with things. And um, there's been a huge shift in her since in this last year, huge. I mean, even my mother-in-law was just in town over this last weekend. And she said something to me. She said, you have no idea. And I did, but she, I don't think she realized I did. She's like, you have no idea how this is impacting your daughter. Like, I see such a huge change in her. And it was nice to hear that from her because she's someone who's not around all the time. Right. So she is going to probably notice it. And she's like, it's impacting her in such a great way. Like this is, it's amazing. So I think that if we can start as adults, start making the movement, these kids, like you said, like, we think they don't want to be like their parents or, you know, we all went through that at that age, like, Oh God, you're so annoying, whatever, but they are paying attention and they are going to follow our lead. We have to set the example. I think it's more modern generation more so as well, because the generations have got to be greater thinkers. I mean, kids are now are thinking a lot more than kids back when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and it was just whatever. Um, kids now think things through. They're more informed as a whole, social media, yeah. more TV channels. Like, they're a more informed generation. They are. And I think that's that's so cool that your mother-in-law pointed that out, though. Because mm-hmm. I was actually going to ask you, what what have you had any conversations with your daughter, or has she come and said to you, Mum, you know, you're a better mum, or you're more fun, or has she? Have you had any conversations with her that she's initiated? You know, she or is she just not. I think this is how she real like relays the messages to me they're not it's not direct it's in things like she will have a conversation with someone else and about alcohol and then tell them why it's bad and then she'll be proud of that and tell me oh hey like the most recent one that's at the top of my mind they were talking about alcohol in health class 
And she raised her hand and she was so, this was like, I'm probably going to cry when I tell, tell this. Um, Cause I haven't even told anybody this yet. And she said she raised her hand and she told her health teacher that her mom was sober. And to me, I'm like, that's wow. huge. That's huge for a teenager to like raise their hand yeah. and make that statement because yeah. sobriety can be, you know, not something that everyone wants to brag about their parent being, you know, it could, it could be a shameful thing. And I think it helps me realize that I have done this in a way to show her it's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, for her to like, for her to be able to raise her hand and tell him that. And then, you know, he, I don't know if he, I know exactly. And it, it's things like that. It's when she tells me things like that, that's when I know that I'm doing the right thing. I also do know though, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm raising a non-drinker because I also know that she has a, a very much a mind of her own and she she will drink. I know she will. She She's going to be curious about it. I just hope that it she comes at it from a different angle than I did. And I think that's key and i think that's what i'm instilling in her by by showing her a different way of of living um because she did ask me like last week or the week before last and i think she i think sometimes she's testing my sobriety too so she says to me i pick her up from school and she said so you're never like and it was out of the blue like we weren't talking about anything and it's just like out of dead silence she's like so you're not ever drinking again right and i said no, I don't plan on ever having a drink again. I, I don't see any reason why I would ever want to. Yeah. And she goes, okay, I'm just checking. Cause so you probably then won't want to come to my 21st birthday party. Right. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you are 14. <laughs> Let me do all the math. Seven, seven years. <laughs> Already thinking about it. But, see, but what does that tell you about society? And yeah. that's what you, that's what it's she like, has in her head. Right. Yeah. Oh, on my 21st birthday, because I'm turning 21, that's what I'm supposed to do. I've been conditioned to know that I go out to the bar and I get drunk. So we've got seven years though. But yeah, I just, but then I'm like, I think that was just a test. I think she's just finding ways to test. But yeah. Yeah. You know? And kids will, right? I think especially girls as, as teenagers, because I think it, it's pretty well known that, that girls are more mature than boys and enjoy oh, yeah. boys and be out just being morons, whereas mm-hmm. girls are thinkers, very much more so, based mm-hmm. on, like, studies, but also growing up as well. I mean, like, girls were much more glued up. When we were just hanging out, smoking dope and, and cigarettes and getting drunk, girls were a lot more, yeah, they were, they were a higher level of thinking. And that's really interesting. What's your what's the age of um, drinking in the US? Is it 21? 21. 21. So it's <laughs> 18 here. It used to be 20. And then they reduced it to 18 because no can read them. Like, why would you? Right. I've never been I mean, I've never been able to figure that out. Why would you lower 
the age of drinking. I mean, there must have been some weird thought around it, but now the thought is about raising it up again. It's always been 18 in, in England. Yeah. Especially when... It really matters because you're always going to get it, aren't you? It doesn't matter what the age it is. It doesn't. No, it really doesn't. It. But if you can actually go to a bar or a liquor store and buy it yourself, then it's going to be easier to get. So therefore, you're likely to drink more than if mm-hmm. you have to ask a mate's mate to go and buy it right. for you when you skulk around the corner. And yeah. Right. Makes makes a lot more sense to have it higher. Yeah. Well, especially sure. since we know like the the brain, you know, doesn't stop its development to what is like 25, I think was the age that I heard. Mm. It's like, so yeah. why, why not then push it out to 25? Like give these kids a chance to let their brains fully develop. And, you know, I think Adeline was at, my daughter was actually the one who said that they were learning that in health class um, about the risks of being, a, of drinking. Cause I said, what did they say about drinking? And she said that they were talking about how it's not good for their brains when they're teens, that they should really wait until their brains are fully developed, which, you know, none of us did that. But (laughs) that's why I explained a few things. Yeah. (laughs) That's why when you get messages back from me, you can listen to all of my messages and send one message, yet you'll get. (laughs) 15 messages from me because I was smoking weed when I was 11. Yeah. I, I, that's cool, you know, and the drinking, everything else is caught out with my, I smashed my adolescent brain. Sure. And it really has started showing now. And people are like, oh my God, are you sure you haven't got Alzheimer's? And I'm like, I can probably say no now, but in 10 years, I probably, I don't know. I mean, That's a I'm side effect, isn't it? Because what, what, what I've done, I've done. You know, I've done it myself. There's all sorts of health things going on with me that have mm-hmm. come down to smoking and drinking and, and illicit drugs, etc. Yeah, it'll catch up with you. Mm-hmm. But it's that thing, go back to leading by example, because you're leading by example. You can't tell youngsters what to do and do another thing, which most parents will. You know, like, oh, Correct. you mustn't drink whilst you've got a pint of um, a pint of wine in your hand, <laughs> you know. I know because you know, or don't smoke. Yet you're retained smoking in the house. Not you, but people per se. Right. Um, it's leading, leading by example. Yep. You're setting a shining example. I think it, it's almost a benefit to your daughter as well that she's seen before and after. I think so too. Because you've got two things to sort of she's got two things to she's got the contrast exactly the contrast mm-hmm. excellent mm-hmm. yeah completely mm-hmm. and there's no better proof than that i mean there hasn't been any better proof even for myself to have that contrast yeah to know how much better life is like there's i can't i, I could sit here for hours and list the things that have been so much better since i got rid of alcohol like it just goes on and on and on. And I feel like every week, every month, something new like comes to me, a new realization that I'm like, I wouldn't have this feeling or I wouldn't be able to do this task if it wasn't for my sobriety. Like it just keeps coming in waves. It's like, it's so amazing. And I think we both hit a point of, but now I realize how fucking awesome sober is. 
I mean, like, insanely good. I enjoy it all of the time. I do things that I never realized were possible. Um, I've done my coach training. I'm training moving countries. I've got European travel planned. And all I used to do is sit in one place and chain smoke and drink. I mean, like, why would you? It's I mean, not it's living. Like, why would I go back to being a drunk? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't. I literally wouldn't. There is not one minute me that would. It's it's a it's a hundred and ten percent. It will never happen. Period. And the same with you. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of people are still quite shaky. I see on the gram. They might even be two years in and they're still quite shaky because that complete shift has never happened. Mm-hmm. They've never got to that point of what I like to think is recovered right. as myself and almost certainly 99.9% yourself, which is the point of recovered because that shift has never quite happened for whatever reason. They haven't got to the point. They haven't let go of what they thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. In some way, even though they realize it was terrible in many ways, some part of them still thinks to think that that, that that was great. Whereas I know it wasn't. It was fucking awful. I mean, the, the end of my drinking was so bad. I, the only thing I still loved was music, and I even lost the, the, the love of music. That's, that was right at the end, and I was like, I'm done. I'm, suicide is imminent. I don't even love music. Why am I here? I've got nothing left on this planet that I love at all. Mm-hmm. And now I love everything. I mean, reading at the river today in the rain, you know, with the sun, the rain on the roof and the the the, the native birds, the tui and the pukeko singing. I mean, that just that beautiful love reading it. Speak like TEDx book and the book the book of overthinking, which I desperately need. Um, <laughs> but it's, Tiny things, rainfall, smell of the native bush, all those things that I now have. I mean, I could go on forever about yeah. the things that are so amazing, right? You'd better do the same. Whereas, why? Yeah, why would you go back? And and you can't, you can't tutor. I've tried on the ground, um, tutoring people to get to that point mm-hmm. of. Um, of recovered, and I think professional coaches like Ash probably can, but I mm-hmm. certainly don't have the answer. It's something for me that they need to figure out mm-hmm. or see a professional coach or counselor and figure out. But it takes that shift, and it literally, once that click happens, you ain't going back. And that's a very, 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 very powerful, powerful, um shift to have it like is. the smoking i bake right which i'm actually now cutting down to the nicotine down to quit because my lungs are knackered as we know mm-hmm. but even though i shouldn't i've I, the odd friend who smokes i'll have a fag with them i know i shouldn't and it smells bad it tastes bad it makes me cough and wake but i also know that i would never go back to it because it's awful that's mm-hmm. a reminder in, in the smoke. It's like, bleh, bleh. I don't have a fag and then go like many years ago, I'd have had a fag, given up, had a fag and that's it, straight back and go and buy a box of fags. Straight Nah, now it's like, bleh. and this will be like that as well. 
yeah. at a point in time and I'll go, okay, right. Now I don't need that. I'm even vaping less now. I mean, I would have been the whole conversation not to <laughs> Um But it's the last this is the hardest thing because I think I often call it the only thing that I have left. I've given up I've given up drugs, I've given up smoking, I've given up alcohol. Um, yeah, I've got coffee, but I don't have a coffee machine of my own. Maybe that's what I need. Yeah, get you a coffee, <laughs> a machine. coffee machine. Because like I actually don't need this, but I do enjoy it when it's when you enjoy something, it's hard to quit. It is. But I know I will. And once I have given it up, it'll be like, oh, well, that's gone then. That's fine. It's not mm-hmm. an issue. Since mm-hmm. he's throwing the thing. Be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's you do, the stuff that you need is around you and it's natural and it's people and it's rain and it's travel, whatever it be. Those are the things that you actually need, right? I mean, in your case, the love of your husband, the, the love of your beautiful daughter, mm-hmm. um, those are the things you need. You don't need things that you put into your body external things into your body and not things that you need right that all makes sense it does but i think what it is too is like with the whole recovered thing it's like the scales like the scale finally tips all the way yes yes that's that's the difference when you're still glorifying the alcohol or you're still romanticizing the thought of maybe being able to drink again someday and you're just like not fully tipping that scale to never, ever again. That's a slippery slope. And I think that's the difference between, you know, staying in recovery and then being recovered. Well, this is something I wasn't going to talk about. And I have spoken about to you, but I, it, I, it's clicked in my head. And that was my thought of wanting to drink real ale in England at a pub because it's real ale and you can't get it in non-alcoholic and I'm recovered, so therefore I wouldn't want to get drunk, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I drink because I didn't drink real ale to get drunk ever. So my thought for the listeners was, as I said to Steph, I'm recovered, I'm over three years, I know I can have a pint and it won't send me back to where I was. like. And I know that's the case, but I thought about it even more and I thought, but you don't need it. I think I'm almost was wanting to prove a point to myself that, yeah, I can have a pint, so that's fine. I've proved something. But why do I need to prove it? Because I know it. I can still have that clouds with a ginger beer. I've got a thing for ginger beer now. When I go to parties, I drink ginger beer. That's my alcohol equivalent. Because I could have a Heineken Zero and have that clouds in that pub. But I don't drink alcohol-free drinks because I don't crave the taste of alcohol. I only drank on the whole part from the odd pint of real ale because I want to get pissed, which is vodka, neat vodka, and a lot of it, bottles and bottles a week, many bottles. Um, so do I really, really crave that pint enough to have it, or am I just trying to prove a point to myself? And the conclusion I've come to myself whilst lying on the couch of wisdom, as I do, because it's where I think, um, is that I'm just fucking wanting to prove a point to myself that I can. But do I need to? No, I don't. So I'm not going to. Because I know that I can. I know that I could. 
so I don't need to therefore prove it. Does that make sense? Makes total that's sense. All it was, that's all it was really about is proving a point to myself. And I just know that it would be fine. But why not have a ginger ale? Because I don't like feeling not me now. Right. And even that small amount would make me then feel not me. It would. Right? Yeah. It would. But I think that most people don't ever, I would say nearly everybody. Yes, there's the odd person. I'm not, I'm not going to get away from this. It's the odd person that go and go on and drink after having a drinking problem and do it successfully. But it's a very, 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 very rare occurrence. Mm -hmm. And for most people, they should never, ever, ever think of going back to drinking. And for me, it was just for the wrong reason. It was just because I wanted to prove a point. Because that's me all up. I've always mm -hmm. been, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I go to the ends of the earth and walk over, over broken, over broken bottles just to prove a point. I'd have bleeding feet, but at least I'd prove the point. And I thought, mm -hmm. well, that's you, isn't it? That is you, James. That is exactly what you do. You'd cut your own arm off just to prove the point. So why why need do that? Because you know what the answer is. Right. You just stop. And who? So and, there's, and, there's the answer publicly to you that I don't need to. And I, I love it. And like like you're saying, and who are you? You're just trying to prove a point only to yourself. Like me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah but because i know what the answer is that i still wouldn't have a problem why even bother right so right. but i don't i mean I, I see a lot i mean af drinks um or na drinks are really seem to be massively popular right i mean i had a i had a heineken zero it was it was a giveaway at the cinema ages and ages ago and they're like oh with an adult ticket you can have a it was really quite bizarre. It said, like, you have to be over 18, but you can have a, an alcohol-free beer. <laughs> over 18, okay, whatever. So I drank this Heineken and went, wow, that tastes exactly the same as Heineken. But I don't particularly like Heineken. Um, and I didn't really drink for the most of my life for the, for the taste. Mm -hmm. Like, my dad would enjoy a nice alcohol-free because he drinks for the taste. And I spoke earlier on, he doesn't get drunk. He really does enjoy the taste of a particular type of drink. Um, and I think a lot of people who are early sobriety and are doing AF strings are walking a, a, a tightrope, right? Yeah. I don't know if I'm a massive supporter of people doing it. It's up to them what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and for others, it'll be like, okay, yeah, but I think most alcoholics aren't drinking for the taste. Otherwise, you wouldn't be an alcoholic right. or an alcohol-dependent person, right? Right. Um, yeah, I would say for me with the alcohol-free, the beginning, I wanted nothing to do with it because, once again, kind of like what you were saying, I never was like, oh, I really enjoyed the taste. I just enjoyed the feeling. So what's mm. the point? But then about eight months in, I was feeling confident about not wanting to feel drunk. Like I, I've, my anxiety was gone. Yeah. I just felt so much better, but I had like a craving for a cold beer. Like I just wanted to taste a beer. And so that's when I decided mm -hmm. I'm going to try an alcohol-free beer and just see how it goes. And I had one beer and I was completely satisfied with just the one. 
and, you know, didn't get a buzz from it. Didn't get, you know, obviously. And so I do drink. I actually like the Heineken ones a lot, but I don't drink them. Like I maybe will have one, two, three in a whole month. And it's just because I might have a craving for a beer. Like we're having pizza one night and sometimes I'm like a beer just sounds good with pizza. Like I'm wanting it for the flavor now. I'm not wanting it because, Oh, I had a shit day and I'm going to like try to have this alcohol free beer and see if it'll do the trick. And then when it doesn't, I'll just crack a real beer. You know, I think like you said, it could turn into something more when you are like in not the right mindset or frame of mind in the moment when you're going to drink it. I can't imagine somebody getting through, or a case of 14 Heineken zeros in the night. Like, yeah. Why would you? Why would you? But I, I mean, I'm just, I mean, I haven't even, I haven't tried anything outside of that. The only thing I, I really do miss the taste of outside of real ale is rum. I really like rum. Mm-hmm. And apparently you can get, you can get like cane spirit spirits. So I that think might you can, be yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I haven't tried it. I know them, but... that nothing will give me a craving. So that might be, I might well try that. That's, yeah. But generally, I just like soft drinks and water. Yeah. If I was ever going to drink something for thirst during mm-hmm. all my years of dependency, I drank a, a soft drink. Yeah. I really like post mix Pepsi, like when you get it at the cinema, when it's mm-hmm. really, really, really sweet and flavorful. Or at home, I drink water with, really cold water with lemon or lime in it mm-hmm. um but i don't feel the need for drinking or having a massive alcohol-free cabinet you know and yeah. that definitely works for some people i can't remember the lass's name she's been sober just over seven years an american lass on insta tiny little thing she's wonderful um and she has the coolest alcohol-free spirits she showed it the other day, like the coolest alcohol free spirit cabinet in the world ever. Like she must have like 30 or 40 types of spirits and measures and she's all the time doing like cocktails. And, oh, wow. Like, You'll have to. When I'm back on Insta, I will. Yeah. Yeah. Send me her info. I'll is. follow her. I can't remember her name. She's a tiny, tiny little thing. She often wears woolly hats. Um, but she's really into like complex cocktails and things. And I'm just like, no, just give me a Pepsi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you're simple. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Most people say that. Oh, and another thing, listeners, I was just trying to think there's anything else. I think I, I'm training to be a, um, a double certified life coach and. I've recently got into listening to Tony Robbins. I've got you listen to Tony mm-hmm. Robbins yes. podcast. And if you want to make change in any parts of your life and really challenge who you are, and this is way beyond the whole drinking, not drinking um, sphere of things. If you want to challenge who you are as a person and what your being, your very being is on planet Earth, get into Tony Robbins. I think you said you found it quite emotional. Very emotional. Um, um, and if you don't know who Tony Robbins is, go away and look up Tony Robbins. He's the original life coach. He's been working 40 years in the in the sphere of transformation. He started off as a um, as the phobia guy. I don't know if you know that. Mm-mm. But he started off as a phobia guy and he said I can I can 
hail on stage anybody's phobia. And um, it doesn't matter what it is. Give me 60 minutes. I'll hear your phobia. And it was a big story about a guy said, oh, you definitely can't. And there was a big show that he said, right, it's fine. Bring bring your client with their worst phobia over. I'll pay him in 60 minutes. And he did. And he was forever known as the phobia guy. But he went into to all sorts of coaching since. He now does um, five days in a row, 16 hours a day on stage. And I can say after my longest session the other day, five hours of listening to Tony Robbins, I was worn out. I was emotionally spent. But people do, yeah, 16 hour days, five days in a row, $20,000 a ticket to see him talk. Wow. I know, right? But people listen to Tony Robbins, get all over everything Tony Robbins. He's he's life changing. And and he's really helped me process also the post um, the post drinking thing and who I am as a person and where I'm going. Um, mm-hmm. And I I hope you're still listening. And if you are, don't forget to get back into it on the dreadmill. I am um, still listening. And I, you know. Firing though, isn't it? It is. And, you know, you're very self-aware. I'm very self-aware. And I think yeah. that is a huge part of this journey is becoming very in tune with who you are, what yeah. makes you tick, what pisses you off, what triggers yeah. you. And, you know, getting sober kind of forces you into figuring those things out because now you can't run from shit anymore. Like I mean, when I, I when I got sober, I felt like I was a baby again. I was having to learn to walk, talk, think count fingers i mean i was back to zero yeah i didn't know what it was like you know what i mean i just Mm -hmm. literally didn't know i was having to rediscover who i was as a person yeah i'd spent so long pissed i didn't even know Mm -hmm. and i'm still now i mean like with coaching i'm still discovering who i am but i am very self-aware um and i'm always looking to tune up all the time and i'll think i'm there and then i'll listen to a part of tony robbins pod or even some of your stuff, and I'm like, wow, okay, that mind blown, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You're always, always willing to be open to learning, really, and it sounds cliche, till the day we die. Yeah, I mean, there's no end to it. There no. just isn't. It just keeps, like, building, and it's just level upon level upon level, yeah. but that's the whole point of it, I feel like. And being so self-aware, like, I was, it's just, it's key to, to, to staying sober because when you know why you're doing things or what triggers you, you can get ahead of it. You know, we talk about playing it forward. Like you can really get ahead of it and completely talk yourself out of, you know, going back to drinking or, or drugs or whatever, you know, you're getting away from. Mm-hmm. And that also, I think the other thing is like to be completely recovered. I felt that, that, to be a hundred percent recovered, not ninety nine percent, that you had to be able to have that drink and be okay with it. But I actually don't. And there was that little bit more of being of being more self aware. And I think you would influence with me in that as well because you were like, "Really? Do you need to?" That's an interesting. Well, you hadn't said don't do it because no. as soon as somebody says don't do it, fuck me, that that's rag rag to a bull with me. I, I like you know, don't swim in that thing with your know, tank with sharks, and I'm like, boom, I'm in there. Hello. 
That, I mean, that's been the downfall of my entire life. Mm-hmm. And people saying, don't do that, because, like, well, that suddenly becomes the best fucking idea in the world. Because he said, don't do it. So, well, obviously, it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I'll show you. I'm a detriment to myself. But <laughs> so, you know, I was just watching Jackass recently. Jackass does Shark Week. Steve from Jackass. Right. Clean and sober 14 years and just as freaking mad as he ever was. Yeah. And I always thought that he needed cocaine and alcohol to be a nutcase. Yeah, nah. Mm-mm. I mean, he's even got now he's a vegan. I, I, you can't get any healthier um, than Steve But man, is that guy. Woo! Yeah. He's still missing, still missing something. Yeah. Like, might be called a brain, possibly. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you can definitely, if anybody says you can't have fun with alcohol and drugs, go watch some Stevo of right. the last 14 years. And <laughs> that, that is 100 million percent proof you can have fun yeah. without alcohol and drugs. Right? Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. Remember, I am just a woman on a mission to normalize sobriety and living a sober lifestyle. I am not a licensed therapist or a doctor. Please, if alcohol is causing serious physical or mental health issues, seek professional help. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Be sure to follow so you don't miss future episodes. And just so you know, leaving a five-star review will help this podcast reach more people like you and in the sober community. It's an easy way to do your part in normalizing a sober lifestyle. Because I truly believe that nobody should feel alone in sobriety. And that being said, feel free to reach out to me or anyone on the sober Instagram community. Check out my show notes for my Instagram handle at thisisstephsober. My DMs are always open.